Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. And today's show, we have Aaron Hillegas, uh, CEO of Big Nerd Ranch, and his client and friend, Dr. Mark Sanchez, founder, CEO, and chief developer of Top Software. So, gentlemen, I would love to start off by just finding out, finding out a little bit about your companies. Aaron, you want to take that one? Tell us a little bit about Big Nerd Ranch. Sure. Big Nerd Ranch does training and consulting app development services on mobile technologies and web technologies. So we're always trying to look at what the next coming thing is and helping our clients either learn how to use it themselves or actually just developing solutions for them. Mm-hmm. And what about you, Dr. Sanchez? Well, uh, Top Software is founded when... Uh, I got out of school and realized that what was available for orthodontists to run their practice wasn't very good at all. Uh, I was a Georgia Tech graduate, and I thought, heck, I could do this myself. (laughs) And uh, eventually I found Aaron, and uh, the rest became very powerful, actually. So uh, when we did our third class on how to do development for the Macintosh, Mark was in that class. It was a very small class. Three people. Three people. (laughs) And Mark was there. And at the end of the class, he said, I'd really like your help developing our software. And so for the next two years, I would go and work in Mark's office. And we worked together very closely to create top software. And I think it's an incredible package for any orthodontist. Great, great, great. So I would love to find out what are the trends in your industry that you think other CEOs need to know. So Aaron, you want to go ahead and take that one? Sure. If you think about the world, there's 7 billion people and gradually are all being brought into the middle class. And when you think about 7 billion people living the way we do, things are going to have to be a lot more efficient. And to do that, we really need to be optimizing processes. And so if you think about Waze, for example, it gathers data. That's the the mapping software on our phone. On our phone, that's right. But what's neat about it is that it's always gathering data about traffic flows. So even as you're navigating, it's keeping track of how quickly you're moving and pushing that to a server that's keeping track of all the traffic flow in Atlanta. And it's now advising you based on how every other ways user is moving through the city on a route that's going to work best for you. So it's gathering data, it's analyzing that and optimizing it. And that's the sort of thing that's going to make this increase in the quality of life for everyone possible. To do that, you need the big data and the machine learning, which is happens on the server and is, is an important part. But the other part you need is ubiquity of these computers and putting them all on the internet. So the first step of ubiquity really was the mobile movement. So everyone getting a phone in their pocket and having that computer with them all the time with its sensors and its ability to connect to the internet and push data up to the server. And then the next step has really been embedded things. So you're starting to see that your car is gradually becoming a computer and your house is gradually becoming a robot, right? We have the Nest thermostats, which are automatically monitoring who's in the house and um, turning up and down the, the energy usage of the house accordingly to make it comfortable, but only when people are in the house. So what we're, what we're really passionate about is that idea of developing systems that are ubiquitous, that blend in and make our lives a better place. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing that I've seen is not only the ubiquity of these devices, it's not as if you had a desktop computer now in your pocket and that was all that had changed, but all of these devices now have sensors. They know what's going on around them. That's a huge change. 
Mm-hmm. And they're collecting that data, as you said. Right. So most of the phones, a lot of people don't realize that it has GPS. Mm-hmm. It has an accelerometer, so it can tell if you're if you're accelerating or decelerating. Or it also has a gyroscope, so you can it can feel when you're rotating it. It really is a a very advanced yeah. piece of technology that only NASA would have had a decade ago, but yeah. now it's in everybody's pockets. Speakers, a camera, eyes. Right. It's got everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, Dr. Sanchez, Mark, tell us about efficiency in the medical medical context. I mean, one of the things I know that w- is that with all of the changes, um, small physician practices are really getting squeezed. And so how are you using technology to, to help you deal with all those right. changes? In orthodontics, and, and we're a specialty of dentistry, um, what we're seeing now is a change where instead of a bunch of individual orthodontists practicing on their own, which has been for quite a while that way, um, we're seeing them begin to cluster together. So in our practice, for instance, we have six orthodontists now. It's really unusual. And uh, the ability to, to manage such a large team across multiple sites, that's, those are the changes that are going on now. And uh, that's software-driven like everything. Software eats everything. We see that uh, those efficiencies require heavy coordination with systems like that and data gathering. And I think what we're going to see also in our field is big data. It's not really been applied uh, till now or, or up to, to this point. Mm-hmm. And so how do you see that, that big data being applied? I think we're going to uh, see it first in the area of marketing. We're going to understand our, who our patients are better than we do now. Um, it's going to allow us to turn uh, more to customer or patient-centric practice that uh, hasn't happened in the past. It's, it's, we're going to know a lot more about our patients than we did in the past. One of the things that's really challenging about this idea of ubiquitous computers all around us is trying to set up user interfaces that are not so invasive. So we started off with the cell phone. So we have the screen and we pull it out of our pocket and we stare at it and we poke at it. Um, But now more and more we're moving to interfaces that are not as invasive. So when you look at what's going on with Siri, the ability to talk to it, we're seeing a lot of voice interfaces. Big Nerd Ranch is doing a lot with the Alexa skills kit. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Echo has this thing, Alexa, it's sort of the brains of it, and the ability to extend it to essentially write apps for this voice interface. So for listeners this. who are not familiar familiar with that, tell us a little bit about sure. what the Echo and the Alexa and who she is. And- yes, so Amazon uh, has recently released a device called the Echo, and it looks like a uh, black thermos, and it sits in the room, and you can talk to it and ask it questions. And it uses all the information on the internet to solve, to answer the question for you. So you can say, you know, how much does hydrogen weigh? And it will actually look up that information on the Wikipedia page. It's, it's, it's a very interesting technology. Mm-hmm. And they are trying to embed this intelligence into more and more devices. So the goal for us as developers is that Amazon has recently made a, a way for us to extend its capabilities to write apps for Alexa. So it will enable like, Uber, for example, to write an application where I can say, tell Uber to send me a car and there will be a car at the doorstep. So this idea of these voice interfaces inside your home are an obvious uh, uh, step forward. You can imagine adjusting your thermostat that way where you'd say it's too hot in here. Yeah, you don't have to get up out of the bed anymore and be like, yeah, Alexa, it's too hot. Turn (laughs) it down. Yeah. But especially in situations where your hands are busy. So, for example, driving your car, it's great to have a voice interface that's actually getting smarter and smarter and can be extended by all the 
different service providers in your life to add new capabilities to it. So in um, a recent interview, I talked with um, Jeff and Ryan from Dragon Army, Mm -hmm. right? And they mentioned this notion of, you know, artificial intelligence. So I'm assuming that Alexa falls into that category of artificial intelligence. She does, does she? Very much. Right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and they were talking about super intelligence. And, you know, I'm wondering how these, you know, whether or not it's artificial intelligence or super intelligence, how those apply to business. Or if they're, I mean, obviously, you know, yeah. Mark, you're you're a great application of that. From my perspective, so far, it's been mostly around uh, consumer stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, in orthodontic practice, uh, the current use would be, for instance, dictating your notes. We also need hands-free stuff, and uh, we can dictate our notes. One of the key things I, I do want to say, when you do dictation like that, remember what you're saying goes to a server that that may not be secure. So you have to make sure that your note doesn't include identifiable information as you're doing it. And I, I think um, the microphone, for instance, I'm wearing a Bluetooth uh, device around my neck. And so I have a microphone literally with me all the time or nearly all the time. I take it off before bed. That allows me very quickly, as I'm driving the car and so forth, to send texts and uh, ask for directions and things like that. And, and I think we do see all the large uh, data companies, uh, Apple, Google, Facebook, and so forth, they're heavily investing in artificial intelligence for this voice control. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, this brings up an, a, an important point about anytime new technologies emerge, when they first emerge, they're primarily telecom companies and credit card companies, and they're essentially using this data against you, right? They, they are going to up your credit limit if they think they can get you in a situation where you're going to be paying these fees over and over again. So in, in the beginning, it is very much a, a big company trying to use your, this artificial intelligence against you, but gradually it becomes a consumer product as well, where it's actually working in your favor. And that's an interesting tipping point and uh, something we should always, always be thinking about. And so, you know, is it, you know, artificial intelligence, you know, and, and using it for, you know, consumer applications is, is very interesting. But I'm wondering about, like, security. So we've had a number of people on the show who've, you know, dealt directly with cybersecurity. And I'm wondering if you have a thought on how to keep all of these computers and interfaces secure. Right. It's, it's a very hard problem. Uh, when you talk about a computer and having it be accessible from anywhere on the internet and then also secure, there's a natural conflict there. And the hope is that some of this machine intelligence will start to flag suspicious activity. And we should be able to sift through the gazillions of, of connections that happen on the internet and find suspicious ones and be able to trace them back to their source. So the hope is that this sort of intelligence will act as a, as a watchdog for us. Mm. Is the, do you, do you know whether or not the technology will include a way of kind of tagging the voice? So for example, I've heard, and you guys can let me know if this is true, that every voice is unique, right? So it should be able to have some algorithm for identifying that this is actually me that's talking. Right. Yes. There are definitely biometric systems that use the voice. And once again, you should be a little bit scared about that because uh, (laughs) once they start tracking your voice and you say words in different settings, it will start to track where you are just based on your voice. So once again, it cuts both both ways. Mm. Right. And then I guess also if they get a recording of my voice, they could splice it together and make it do things too. That's right. Mm. And is it true that pretty much any of these systems can be hacked? 
any system that can be accessed by the user can also be hacked by yes. someone else. Yes, I would say that that's true. Yep. Especially with physical access, but yeah, e even without that, um, I, I'm hoping biometrics improves. Um, one difference, say with a, a watch, it knows when it's on your wrist and you have to verify who you are as you put it on your wrist. Uh, so that I think is a little bit more solid. So Apple just released um, a system, well, it announced it, where if you're wearing your Apple Watch and you sit down at your Mac, it will automatically log you in. So that's what, what Mark is talking about, is the Apple Watch now allows you to instantly log into your laptop without typing your password in. Yeah, and you can speak into your watch. So um, your worry about uh, my voice being uh, faked or, or forged in some way. Well, I'm speaking into the watch, and the watch already knows it's me, unless somehow you sever my arm from the rest of me. Mm. How does it know it's you? Um it actually starts with your phone. I use my phone with the fingerprint. Okay. And the watch talks to the phone. And as I put on the watch, it, it asks the phone, hey, uh, prove you're me. And I put my finger on the phone and then I'm, I'm logged into the watch. Fascinating. It is. And, and it reads my heartbeat. And until I take it off, it knows I'm, I'm good. Mm -hmm. So what are you working on for with Alexa specifically? So uh, Amazon came to us and said, we really want a lot of people to have the ability to write these apps for Alexa. Will you develop a course? And so we did a series of blog postings where people could read about how to do Alexa uh, development. And now we've done a series of videos and you'll see those coming out soon. Those will be free available on the internet. And then we'll also be doing instructor-led training. So for big companies that are working on these, we can send our instructors to go and teach those. So we've been primarily doing it on the training side of our business, but we are actively um, courting several people who need Alexa apps written now, and we'll be doing that in the, in the very near future. Mm. So that's really how we do it, is we, we uh, do both the training and the app development because they inform each other. We wouldn't feel qualified to stand in front of a class talking about a technology if we weren't using it in a realistic and relevant way. Yeah, you can't be a fat personal trainer. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Although that does happen a lot in technical training is that people get taught how to teach a class and they're just a talking head. Um, we work very hard to make sure that the people in the front of the room are actually experts. Okay, so as you kind of, you put on your futurist, futurist hat again, what do you think are some of the um, applications of the the um, artificial intelligence that are coming up that you think will be most exciting, you know, to business owners that you're seeing? So it, it's so much dependent on the business, right? It's like, it's like marketing. You need to think about what is your business lacking and how can it be more uh, efficient and um, looking for that, what we call the limiting reagent. So when there's a chemical reaction, right, we could have this whole room filled with hydrogen. And if we only had a balloon full of oxygen, when we hit a spark, we would only get a small explosion because that balloon would be the of oxygen would be the limiting reagent. And so the goal of marketing or machine intelligence is to go and look for more oxygen to keep the reaction going. And I think that's what we're what we're really seeing is that more and more we're going to be able to customize this where every business can look at their inefficiencies and their questions, right? There's a lot of decisions that have to be made, strategic decisions, and having a system that can give you, can sift through huge amounts of data and give you some sort of a summary is really valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think um, in our area, it's going to be marketing first, as I mentioned, and uh, we'll know our customers better. We can tailor our services towards who they really are and, and each individual as well. 
in, in the actual area of treatment, um, digital orthodontics has become to, to the front forefront now. And we digitize teeth. We did digitize the bones of the patient. And we know where we're moving the teeth within the bones. That's something we couldn't do a long, long ago. And as we use that technology now, I often think to myself, my goodness, we were kind of flying blind before. <laughs> and so it's really great on that end. And I think we're going to be collecting data along those things and analyzing that data to find more optimal treatments for people. Mm. And one application I heard, I, I recently read about in a book called Bold I don't, by Peter Diamantes. I don't know if you're familiar with that book. Um, he said that a lot of these artificial um, intelligence technologies may re like replace the research function in a lot of businesses. So, for example, a lot of the research that's done by lawyers or even consultants, um, you know, you know, market research, unless it's primary research, um, that these in these um, intelligent robots, so to speak, will be able to do those things. Right. So last week I sat down with the uh, CTO of Reddit. We had lunch. And uh, one of the things we were talking about is this approach to m machine intelligence. In the early days, we used to spend a lot of time pre-packaging the data. So we would try and guess what the computer really needed and strip it down to just that. And we would just feed that small stream of data into the computer. And then computers got so powerful and the algorithms became so powerful that now we just send the raw data and we let the computer figure out what's important in it. And it's, it's really changed the face of machine learning. And the goal in a lot of these is to make the computer more human so that it interacts with us where we can say, you know, who's at the door and it can do the facial recognition on the person and be able to tell you, oh, Mark's at the door and you can say, open the door. It's Mark. It's fine. But okay. the idea of trying to make computers less, we have to meet them on their terms with the, the keyboard and, you know, the commands of, you know, execute C colon, whatever, whatever, uh, and make them more, more human and inter interactive. Um, but what we have to give up in that process is trying to guess how they're doing it. And we just feed the raw data and out pops an answer. And we don't really know why often. Um, Waze is a perfect example. Every once in a while, it will tell me, take a left here. And, I'm, and I think, really? I mean, why is it doing it? And it doesn't give me that answer. It just says, no, I know what's best. I've optimized the route for you. You need to take a left-hand turn here. And this has been a recurring theme in artificial intelligence for the last 50 years is how much are we willing to give up understanding why the computer is telling us this and just saying, well, it knows, it's optimized, and it, it has a brain the size of a planet, and we should just do what it, what it says. Now, is it right? Are they right most of the time? They're right nearly all the time. Um, and that's always a, a funny thing, is uh, I was traveling with my mother recently, and so Google Maps would tell me to make turns, and I would just take them. And we were often in a neighborhood that my mother knows, and she's like, no, no, that's not the best way. But actually, when we timed it all out, Google's way was better than my mother's ways. Very, very oh. interesting. <laughs> I know, right? You know, the, this um, notion of it, at some point, um, the artificial intelligence may be more advanced than human intelligence. Um, I mean, do you have a thought or a perspective on that? I think it depends how you measure it. I would argue that in some sense, that's already happened. I mean, Waze is better than Mark at telling me where to go. It's uh, <laughs> Mark is telling me where to go with a gesture. Um, uh, but uh, in some sense, for, for certain tasks, computers are much more intelligent. They have the data that they need to make the decision and they have an algorithm that can optimize it. And for other things, they're not very good at all. 
So for example, when you see a robot uh, try to catch a ball, it's ridiculous. Um, what we do a as a human, there are certain things we are exceedingly good at. Catching a ball is one and things that we are incredibly bad at. So for example, multiplication, we are incredibly bad at multiplication compared to computers. So let's turn the conversation to the, the, the relationship and how uh, you know, you've helped each other build your successful businesses. Aaron, you mentioned that Mark came to you as a student. Right. And then how did you choose him? I mean, I guess one out of three, but you know, you chose him and you've kind of built your, your businesses together. How did that evolve? So it's important to remember that this was 2001. Wow. And I had just started a company to do professional services for Apple Technologies. When, when in 2001? Uh, February 28th, 2001. Cool. <laughs> okay. We, uh, that's what the police report says. We, <laughs> that's when Big Nerd Ranch Incorporated. And so uh, everyone was saying that Apple was just about to go out of business. This was a ridiculously stupid business idea. It was to start a professional services company for Apple. The stock was trading at about $9 a share. So there was a relatively small group of true believers that believed that Apple could turn things around. I had worked at Next Computer. So when Steve Jobs left Apple originally, he went and formed a company called Next Computer. And they built beautiful black computers with this incredible operating system. And then that company was bought by Apple. So I was working there with Steve Jobs um, when we were purchased by Apple. And the technologies from Next became the basis of Mac OS X, which is now just Mac OS and then later became the basis of the iPhone. So I'm one of the few people who can say I have 25 years experience writing iPhone apps because I, I was there. So uh, I had been asked to come and teach at Apple. Uh, about once a week, I would, once a month, I would fly in and do a week-long course for the Apple engineers on how to write applications for OS X. And I became convinced that it was going to be huge. So I, I got kind of lucky on that one. But I, I became convinced that Apple had finally created a culture that could execute and that they had the technology foundation to do something great. So I, I bet on it and created Big Nerd Ranch to do professional services for Apple technologies because Apple wasn't doing that. And that's kind of rare. When you think about a company like Oracle, when they ship something very complex, part of their business model is also to do professional services. So they're going to make money on the training mm -hmm. and consulting. Whereas Apple was shipping these incredibly complex technologies, incredibly powerful tech, complex technologies, and had no plan for monetizing the professional services. So if it was going to go big, there was a great opportunity there. So uh, I started teaching these classes and they didn't sell super well. As Mark said, he was one of three in the class. <laughs> um, and when he uh, asked for us to help him write his code, it was a great opportunity for us. We were a company that was just struggling to keep our head above water. If Mark had not hired us for this app development work, the company would have gone under. So uh, what success we have, I'm very grateful to, to Mark and his trust in us. Yeah. And when when did it, was it in 2001 or 2002 that you that you had the class with Mark? It was the summer of 2001. Yeah. Okay, so then you know we know what happened in fall of 2001. Yeah, I mentioned the police report, and uh, actually somebody stole one of the computers from our, our class during the night. Aww. And uh, Aaron was really down. I said, don't worry, Aaron, uh, you can borrow my projector. They took that too. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and um, we'll get you through it and uh, come help me while, while you're rebuilding and, um, or, or building the company. And uh, we, were, we worked at it quite a while. And actually, Tops wouldn't be around either if it weren't for that event because 
Um, the technology we had built on prior to that was really old and written by me. <laughs> and without Aaron's expertise moving us to a, a level that, if you think about it, this is a very small industry. There are only 9,000 orthodontists in the United States. And to have somebody with Aaron's skill and, and the team that he built at Big Nerd Ranch is really, really unusual. It's not just unusual. We're the only one like that. And, and so that's really strange and, and different. And that allowed us to have uh, technology that nobody else can offer in our business. So um, as far, I, sometimes I think of, of the beginning as like a three-legged race. Um, we didn't have four legs that we could stand <laughs> on. We had to help each other uh, with one arm over the shoulder of the other. Um, I remember in the early days, neither one of, a, of the companies had any money. And Aaron called me once and said, hey, you know, I really could use a check. And so I said, well, I'll meet you for lunch. I think we, we met at McDonald's because uh, they had a dollar menu or something. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, as I said, here, Aaron, I'm writing you a check. Is 1200 and enough? And he said, yeah. I said, oh, I said, great, but, but can you hold it till Thursday? <laughs> <laughs> so we got through it. We did. And, and it's amazing that from that, we have actually grown to really good-sized and healthy companies. So between the two of us, we we have about 110 employees. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, Tops Ortho is sold all over the world, yeah. and Big Nerd Ranch is known all over the world. So um, we have published books about development on iOS and Android and the Mac, and uh, we're just about to come out with our web development book. And uh, people know us all over the world for that. So it's kind of amazing that from that moment uh, where we were honestly in the eating from the dollar menu and discussing when we could cash each other's checks, <laughs> that we have yeah. uh, done something great. That was 15 years ago. 15 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Um, I remember actually when we had finally gotten the software where it was shipping and I got to go to the uh, orthodontist convention, the AAO, the American Orthodontics American Association of Orthodontics. <laughs> and uh, and someone lent me their their pass so that I could look like an orthodontist. And I went around and had all the other software companies give me demos. And I came back to Mark and I was like, Mark, we have done so much over-engineering here. All I had to do was create an application that people didn't hate because these are absolute garbage and everyone in the world must hate their orthodontic software. And he's like, yep, but that's that's the foundation we need for the future. So... It was it was well worth it. You know, this this thing that you're talking about, um, I believe it happens in business a lot, right? Where one, you know, business person or business owner like really kind of lifts up, you know, the other. Because I mean, I don't know about you, but from everything I've seen, being a business is tough, right? Yep. Like it's really tough. It's not not for the faint of heart. And so, you know, I'd love to just hear your perspective on like how you deal with adversity and, you know, how you've kind of you know, your philosophy about helping each other and, you know, how, how does that happen in business? Because I think we don't talk enough about that, right? Like everybody tries to put on the wonderful veneer and you, we love to talk about it when you have the hundred people, right? Nobody right. talks about like the days when, you know, you couldn't cash the checks, right? Right. I, I think that with, for Mark and I, that we have, uh, and, and, you know, I have to toot our own horn because it's just the two of us talking about ourselves. But I think that we have, a, uh, both have characters that have a lot of integrity that I never doubt that Mark is going to do the right thing consistently. And that makes it a lot easier to trust him, is that I see him work with his employees and his customers, and every day he shows up and does his best to do the right thing. And I feel the same way. I show up at my office and I try every day to do the right thing for my employees and for my customers. And I think that that has made it really easy for us to say, 
I trust you on that. If you say that's the, the best route, let's go with that. And that sort of trust, it's hard to quantify how much that lowers the transaction costs, right? If you need to write a contract for everything and sue every time things get off the rails, <laughs> you can't get anything done. You really need to work with people, both clients and suppliers and employees, that you can really trust. And that makes everything everything so much more efficient and uh, predictable. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's within the team as well. Our company is a virtual company. We're spread out all over the world. There's, I think at most in one location, five of us meet together out of the 40 employees. One of the things I have to, uh, I feel I teach to each of them is trust your teammate because nobody's looking over anybody else's shoulder. Um, you'll know if they're doing a great job or not. We, tr- we work hard to hire well and hire people we trust. You know, actually, Aaron, I, I, I didn't know, I didn't really think about what you just said till now about trusting each other and having a, a client uh, um, relationship where you, there's heavy trust and you don't have to think about uh, those other things is really important. Most people don't realize that software development, when you hire uh, someone to develop software for you, it really is a partnership. It's like a marriage. And it's not just that you write checks and they create a product for you. You have to be in there talking every day about what is the, what is the business model and how does this strategically address that. Mark was an amazing client because he had very specific fantasies of what this software was going to be. And he would say, I'm going to want this screen. I want it laid out like this. I want it to magically look this up when the person fills in the zip code. And having a client who could say, this is my fantasy, we'd implement it. And he would say, that's almost my fantasy, except for these things. And we could go back and fix them in a timely fashion with feedback like that made it uh, a, a dream to work with him. We're working with Aaron and the, and the Nerd Ranch for us um, has been more, we, we've, all our internal developers now get training through the Nerd Ranch. At times, they've done contract work for us in development. And um, I've never had to worry about the advice that we get from them. Which direction should we go here or there technologically? And as well for, for me, it's been nice that Aaron himself will tell me, here's what I see out there. Here's what I think you ought to be thinking about for the future. It's uh, been really important for us. Mm. And what's your philosophy on on bringing in people that you can trust? Because you've grown pretty quickly and you've had to do a fair amount of hiring, both of you. Yeah, so I, I'm part of hiring every single person who gets hired at Big Nerd Ranch. I consider it the most important job that I do. It's protecting the culture and making sure that I'm bringing people in who are trustworthy and who will work hard. Um, we have a, a motto when we're hiring, which is brilliant, hardworking, and kind. So we're looking for someone who's curious and likes to find the best solution, not just a solution. Um, in terms of hardworking, we believe that there's genuine dignity in showing up and working really hard and making a difference for our customers, as opposed to trying to trick somebody into something. We, we, we think that hard work is a, is a form of dignity. And then the third one is kind. And we're trying to create a culture where every day we want to show up to be with the people and to support them as a team. And so that's that's how we hire, and, and I'm part of every every bit of it. Mm-hmm. And how do you actually identify those those uh, qualities in the people that you're interviewing and, and evaluating? I find it hard. Um, <laughs> uh, you you want to ask questions that will give people an opportunity to prove that they have those qualities. So it's you know it's all often I'll ask like, what are you interested in? What books are you reading? So I'm looking for that curious. Um, hardworking is is often shown 
only in the aggregate of someone's resume that they have stepped through these steps. And at, at each point, the organizations they work for gave them new challenges. And that's a good indication that they're hardworking. And then kind is it's the hardest one, right? Everybody can be kind for an interview. And often you hire someone and you find out later that they're not going to fit in and you have to let them go. Mm-hmm. And that's an important part as well, is you have to hire carefully and then you have to fire when necessary. And that's something that's that's hard to find the line of, is this a person who is the right person and they just haven't found their groove here yet? Um, or is it someone who will never fit in here? And um, and uh, that's that's hard to do. Yeah, we actually have the same three, but worded differently. Ours is smart, gets things done, and is happy. And uh, kind <laughs> and happy often go together. We we were lucky enough to stumble upon a book called Who, W-H-O, and the subtitle is The A Method of Hiring. And it does a really good job of helping you, um, the method, of identifying what a person's really like so that you don't hire a stranger. It's a lot of work, and, and you, but you can up your success rate uh, using a, te- a method like that. Mm, great. So that is a good book. I've read that as well. Um, Who is a, is a very useful... For those of us who need like a checklist of what are the seven steps we need to go through, and, and I think who is a great one. Wonderful. Great. So let us know, I mean, what's happening that's new and exciting at, at your companies that you think CEOs should be aware of? I mean, obviously, working for Alexa is pretty sexy. So oh, yeah. Working on Alexa, I mean. So uh, at Big Nerd Ranch, we're continuing to do new courses. So you can come and take classes on iOS, Android, web development, design. So we do design for both iOS and Android, and they're all incredible courses. Our clients are companies like Google and Uber and Spotify and Facebook. The, these and are Apple? The same, and you can, no one who works for Apple can ever say they work for Apple, just so you know. Not that that has anything to do with my answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are also shipping our new books. So all the standard books on iOS and Android and Mac development are all Big Nerd Ranch books. But the new one that's coming out on August 1st is our web front-end development. So JavaScript and HTML5, we're very excited about that. We are always eager to take on interesting projects. We are fascinated with emerging technologies and we have, as I said, brilliant people. If you need an app written, we are the people to do it. If you need a web application written, we can do that. If you just want us to come in and look at your code, and tell you how it could be better. We do that for many companies. Um, so those are those are the the big things going on for us. And for us, I think we can say this. We we had a really nice new announcement a couple of months ago, and that is, we're an official and authorized Apple Business Solution Provider. Um, it's a really great designation, and um, I'm very proud to say, in the Southeast United United States. We are the one and only company that has that designation. And of course, in orthodontics, we're the only one in the world. It allows us to do some partnership things that uh, actually are more hardware related than, than software related. But one of the trends we saw uh, over the last couple of years is that hardware devices, phones, uh, watches, uh, iPads, laptops, people don't buy them anymore. The new model is you pay a low monthly fee and you get your devices, and then every so often you get a new device that it's given to you. That's really going to help our practices because uh, their hardware gets old, and then they they have this huge, if you've got 30 workstations, 
got this huge bill. You've got to go, oh, I've got to replace all of these all at once. But with this hardware plan where you pay a low monthly fee, you never have a big lump of cash to pay. And every so often you get brand new stuff. So you're always current. And that's the model the world is moving to. Great. Well, if uh, listeners want to get in touch with you to hear more about what you've discussed, how can they do that? The easiest way is the website. It's uh, BigNerdRanch.com. And if you want to reach me, I'm Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at BigNerdRanch.com. I'm always happy to hear from people. Great. Thank you. And uh, our website is TopsOrtho, T-O-P-S-O-R-T-H-O.com. And uh, my email is msanchez at TopsOrtho.com. Great. Thanks for uh, being on the show, gentlemen. Thanks so much. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at AnonaEnterprises.com.